0: Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'd be surprised if anyone had to convince us that the world is in a mess. However, you describe the mess, I think we all recognize that there are a lot of problems in our world. It's all over the map and it's about all kinds of things. But the reality is, our world is broken. All you have to do is listen to any political uh, person's campaign speeches. And what you hear over and over again is, I've got an idea for fixing it. I've got an idea for making it better. I've got an idea for addressing the problems. That's how people get elected, by making promises about what? About fixing the mess. And I find it interesting that we do that because I think that's because there's something in us that realizes that the mess that we're in is not the intention of how we're supposed to be. Because when we read the creation story, we find that when God creates the world, it's not a mess, it's working perfectly. That's God's intent. That's always been God's intent for His creation. And there's something in us that is longing to go back to that, longing to live that way, longing to see that and experience that. And that's that's God's gift to us to move us in that direction. And I think when you read the scriptures, you find that over and over again, God keeps telling us, here is the answer to your mess. Here is the solution to your mess. And there's something about Psalm 72 that in my mind brings us back to that once again. This is a psalm written, uh, probably seems like, by Solomon and written for Solomon. It seems to be a a, a psalm that is sung maybe at the coronation of Solomon when he becomes the king of Israel. You you get a sense when you read the psalm that it sounds an awful lot like what we read in 2 Chronicles 7, as it describes Solomon taking the reins of the kingdom. It is a psalm in which really is it's a prayer. It's a prayer for the king. And and it's a prayer for the king about how the king should rule and how the king should live and what the king should do. And when you read a psalm like this, the natural inclination is to say, well, this is about a person who's got this position of leadership. What does that possibly have to do with me? I'm not a king. I'm not a queen. I'm not royalty. I don't have that kind of mindset. Well, I think what we have to understand is that particularly in the ancient world and certainly in Israel, the king's, part of the king's role was to model behavior for the people, which is, I think, one of the reasons why God becomes so angry with the kings of Israel because they don't lead people to God. They lead people away from God. They don't present an accurate picture of who God is. They present an accurate picture of what God is not. And so I think when we read a psalm like this, it's not a psalm that we step back and say, well, that's for other people. It has nothing to do with us. This is all about God's people. Because to pray for the king is to pray for the king's people and to pray for us. And this this song starts out in this prayer with, give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Lord, give to your king and his people a love for the kingdom the way you designed it. When we talk about God's justice and God's righteousness, we're really talking about the way in which God designed the world to be. Because in God's kingdom, there is perfect righteousness, perfect justice. Things are operating exactly the way they're supposed to be. We live in a world that is not about righteousness and is not about justice. And so the prayer is God's people, give us a love for that. And you'll notice that as the as this opening part of the of the psalm goes on, it talks about judging your people in the right way, the poor always be treat, being treated fairly prosperity for all, defending the poor, rescuing the children of the needy, crushing their oppressors. You you get this mindset of taking care of the people who are most vulnerable in society. Now everyone, everyone is called to the righteousness of God. Everyone needs to experience and should experience the righteousness and justice of God. That's about everyone. But there are people in the world who feel as if they never see it and they never experience it, and they need to. In their minds, it's only people that have power or wealth or have figured things out enough. They're the ones that that get justice and righteousness, but not us. And the call of the gospel is to help them understand that God is for them, and God loves them every bit as much as anybody else. I wonder sometimes if one of the reasons why why society struggles with the church is that we don't always send that message. Sometimes our message is all about self-protection. Sometimes our message is all about our self-interest. But the gospel, as God's people, keeps calling us to put that aside and to give ourselves to those who are most vulnerable, most needy, so that they know they are indeed loved by God and wanted by God, as we feel. That we are, are, one of our roles is to feel that the joy of God is for all people, and the kingdom of God is for all people. And that kingdom is about justice and righteousness. Because everybody needs to know that. And the prayer of this psalm is, God, not just let me exemplify that, but let me love that. Let me want that. Let it be the passion of my heart to promote your justice and your righteousness, particularly for people who don't seem to experience it or feel it. I love the way verse 6, particularly in the New Living Translation, describes what the king is praying. It says, May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. That imagery struck me the first time I read it, that because of the king's rule, the people who, who live under the king's rule will feel that the king's rule brings them refreshing a, a sense of a nourishing nourishment of refreshing in their lives. I think that's not a bad way to summarize what ought to be happening when god 's people enter the world that when we come into the world when we encounter people and they encounter us, they experience this this nourishment this refreshing the sense of flourishing for them and of course the question for us is do people see that when we enter a situation do people feel like they're being nourished and they're being refreshed that there's a sense of their lives flourishing or is it that they experience something very different what do people get from us I know that maybe our first response is well are you saying that when we enter into the mess of the world our role is just to make people feel better no that's not the gospel but the gospel is to make people feel loved and to feel cared about primarily loved by God but loved by God by being loved by us cared about by God because they're cared about by us. And we might want to respond to say, well, I get that, but isn't our role to speak the truth? Yes, our role is to speak the truth. Exactly. But the question that keeps rolling around the back of my mind is when did speaking the truth only be connected to confrontation? And only connected to pointing out people's sins and all the things that people are doing wrong? What if What if the truth was the truth of the love of God for people? And again, it's it's not that we are ignoring the mess of the world and the reasons for the mess of the world. We're just approaching it from a perspective of love and compassion. Because sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we can, we can approach the world with a different motivation. I, I know for myself, sometimes I am, I'm just frustrated with people, or I disagree with people, or, or, or I feel like people just don't get it. And rather than expressing love, I sometimes express other emotions to people. And instead of being a presence that causes people to feel refreshed by the Spirit of God, they feel something very different. And we do that as not just individuals, but the church as a whole. I remember reading a number of years ago about, I think it was 2012, the the Russian government that had been for a while very open to NGOs working there, including religious groups, a, the parliament passed a law that said all the NGOs had to be described by using a term that translated into Russian had connotations to committing treason. Well, as you can well imagine, that, that didn't put the NGOs in a very good light. And many of them left Russia because they felt like that was the wisest thing to do. There were a, a very few left. And some of the other former Soviet states around Russia passed similar laws to do the same thing. But the one country that didn't was the Ukraine. And Ukraine, instead of passing a law like that, the president signed a bill that said, we want those people here, and particularly, we want religious groups. Because as one observer said, the church is the most trusted institution in the whole country. That's something about bringing refreshing and flourishing and nourishment to people. And we can think about it on that wide scale, but of course, more often than not, this comes down to closer to home. I remember a few years ago, Cindy and I were up, I think, in Buffalo at one of the grocery stores up there and. You know, you, you get into line, and sometimes they, they don't have enough lines open as we would like to have open because we want to get up there and have, not have to wait because I'm impatient. But so we, we get there, and so there are two, thing, two lines open. So we get into one of the lines. Now, we make this joke. We have this, this joke between us that invariably whatever line we get in, there are going to be problems that arise with it. The person in front of us is going to, you know, have forgotten their wallet or they need to run and get something or something malfunctions. It just seems like almost every time we're in line, whatever line we're in, that's where the problem takes place. And I often stand in front of the two lines and go, which one is better? And I'm like to myself, it doesn't matter because you know, so whatever line you get into is going to be a problem. I remember seeing a Candid Camera episode a number of years ago where they had, a, people were in a bank and you could choose one of two tellers and one teller had one person and the other had three people and so the person comes in, of course you go to the line with one person and they, they decided we're going to pick on this person, they get in the line behind one person and the other line just keeps moving and that line doesn't move at all and eventually the person hops over to this line and that line stops and this line keeps going and they're really messing with people doing that. So we're in this boat, with well, this time our line is doing fine, but the line next to us was having trouble. Some kind of malfunction with the cash register. And they brought in every assistant manager and manager and everyone they could find, technician, anyone who could solve this problem. And of course, the person standing there in line with their things was, you know, what do they do? There's nothing they can do. Anyway, they were frantically trying to, to fix it. And there was a, a couple behind them, I'm assuming a husband and wife, And the the husband was getting more and more impatient, and I knew that because he was talking out loud to his wife. But he was really talking to the store employees. You know, you've been in those scenarios? And he was saying things like, I can't believe this is happening. Why don't they get good equipment? How come they're not opening another line? This store always drives me crazy, and on and on and on. And everyone could hear what the guy was saying. And I was standing there observing this situation, and two thoughts came to my mind the first thought was, man, that guy's acting like a jerk. And the second thought, almost simultaneously, was this little voice in the back of my head that said, Wes, you you do know you've been that guy, right? It's true. I get impatient. And instead, and and what, what struck me in that moment was, we all have the opportunity before us in circumstances to be a place that refreshes people and encourages people and brings good into the situation or we can bring different kinds of things into the situation. What about our homes? What kind of atmosphere are we creating in our homes and the people who who are there? What about our relationships? What about our dorm rooms? What about where we work, classrooms, wherever we are? When we walk in the room, are people glad we're there or disappointed that we came? Because of the attitude and the perspective that we bring when we enter a situation. And the prayer of the king is, Lord, let my presence be a presence that refreshes people, not discourages them and makes things worse. And it's hard because you think to yourself, what difference does it make how I act in a grocery store? Those people don't know me. Who cares? It makes a difference because we have an opportunity to change the circumstances, but it also makes a difference because it does something inside of us. When I'm impatient with people, there is a sense in which I'm really impatient with God. How come you're not taking care of this sooner? How come you're not dealing with this problem? How come you're letting that go on? Why, why, why? And that works on our hearts. And it creates a heart and a spirit in us that in other situations, our our default becomes not refreshing, but something very different. Do we have a love for that? A passion for that and it does take patience it it does take time most of the changes of the world don't happen instantaneously they happen gradually in relationships in circumstances but we can choose to be a part of, of representing God in a positive way or in a negative way and that's really what we're doing we are representing God in verse 17, he says that, that through you, all the people of the world will be blessed. But that goes back to Abraham. When God says, calls out Abraham and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to bless you like you cannot believe. But here's the thing, Abe, it's not just about you. What I really want to do is through you bless the whole world. That's our calling. That's the calling God puts on Israel. Jesus puts on the disciples and on the church. In one of his books, Andy Crouch says, makes a statement that took me a little bit to sort of process, but he said, God's intention all along was that the world would be full of idols. I turned my head and went, what? Full of idols? And then he went on to say, well, God's intention all along is that the world be full of images. And we think of idols as bad because they're things that we worship. But Genesis tells us that God created us in his image. And Jesus comes as the very image of God, the scriptures tell us. And the calling on us is to be image bearers of Christ. That in this world, our calling is to bear the image of Christ with other people. Whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in, we are bearing the image of God. And the question is not, when we make a claim to be a Christian, that we are bearing the image of God or not, the the real point is we are either bearing, bearing a positive, right image of God or a negative, wrong image of God. And the king says, Lord, help us to be people who love and embrace the true image of who you are. That's what we want to be, image bearers of God. That our presence in a situation is because we want people to experience the joy and the life of Christ as we have and maybe the problem is that maybe, maybe the joy in the life of Christ isn't as real for us as he would like for it to be. Because this is not a psalm that's telling us, look, people of God, try harder, work harder, do better. This is not, this is not that kind of a psalm. This is a psalm that ultimately is a prayer. And it's saying, God, make you the passion of my life. So fill my heart and mind and spirit, every part of my being with who you are that you just leak out of me and you flow out of me and that I see people the way you see them and I think about people the way you think about them and my spirit is your spirit because your spirit fills me. I think that's what Paul is writing about when he tells us in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. He's saying we don't work harder about the fruit of the Spirit. We open ourselves up more to the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit reveals Himself to others through us. And that's what this psalm is talking about. And when you get to the end of it, the, the writer says, May the king's glory fill the whole earth. And he's not talking anymore about Solomon. Now he's talking about Yahweh. May Yahweh's glory fill the whole earth. How does Yahweh's glory fill the whole earth? Through his spirit and through his people. And it ends by saying amen and amen. So be it. Let it be. That is our desire and our prayer, that the glory of God would be seen through his Holy Spirit and through his people, you and me. And here's the fascinating thing about it. When we get to that point, this no longer feels so much like a responsibility and a duty. It now becomes a privilege, You and I get the privilege of being image bearers of Christ. Think about it. We get to be image bearers of Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. We get the privilege of that. It comes out of this passion and yearning for God's spirit to fill us in every way. In one of his books, A.J. Swoboda asks the question, what if everyone who trusted in Jesus, what if all the people that trust in Jesus were the most hopeful people in all the world? How drastically different things might be. Holy Father, we pray that you will fill us with the passion of the psalmist to love your kingdom to love the way you design the kingdom to have a love and a passion for you in us that we might be image bearers of Christ in a world that desperately needs Christ